All right, good morning, familia. I want to remind you before we start that if you have your little booklet with you, Upside Down Kingdom booklet, uh, there's room on page 31 for you to take notes. Um, if you lost your copy uh, or something else happened to your copy, I want to remind you that we also have an app, and you can download the app, and you actually find a digital copy of the booklet uh, there. All right, so today we continue with our series, Upside Down Kingdom, uh, which is the name of the series we have been going through. And these are a set of teachings Jesus gave his disciples as he was preparing them to be sent into the world to represent him. Uh, he was preparing them to be sent into the world as uh, agents of restoration. Uh, and this section of the scripture is known as the Sermon on the Mount, and it goes from Matthew chapter 5 all the way to Matthew chapter 7. So what we're doing as a church is we're going section by section. When I say church, I'm talking about WBC, IDP, and TVC. If you don't know what those are, look it up because I'm wasting time here. Um, so what we're doing is we're going section by section, and today we're actually starting at chapter 6. And we're going to be talking about what it means to be authentic. Can you say authentic? Now, let me start with this. Let's, let's just start with a definition. Because I think that the word authentic, uh, authentic used to mean uh, di meant different things at different times. And I think that actually the definition of authentic today, it's, it's a little bit different than what it was in the past. Usually, the common definition of the word authentic meant to be true to one's personality, spirit, or character. Let me say that again. The word authentic used to mean to be true to one's personality, spirit, or character. In other words, to be authentic, uh, you, you need something there. You must, there's a prerequisite there. And the prerequisite is this, that you're supposed to know who you really are, and you're supposed to know what you're really like. If you don't know who you really are, and you don't know what you really like, you could never be authentic. At least the call is that we are honest about who we really are and about the things that we really like. So we're going to be reading uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And we're going to put the verses on the screen. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Verse 7. 
And when you pray, do not keep on bubbling like pagans, for they think they will, they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, I, I pray that you speak to us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you teach us how to be authentic, like really authentic. That we get to know who we really are, that we get to know what we really like, and that you give us freedom from that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so if the question is, so the question for us to start today is, are you really authentic? Would you consider yourself to be a person that is genuine in everything you do? And I think that most of us would agree and say that that's probably not true. As much as we want to, that's probably not true. And as much as we try, that's probably not true. And I'm going to give you one example, which is what, the, what Jesus is going to be dealing with here in this text. The reason why I know that none of us in this room is truly authentic is because none of us here is free from the opinion of other people. The reason why we know with, uh, the reason why I know that we struggle with this concept of being authentic or genuine is because every single one of us struggle way too much about trying to deal with what people think of you. And if that's not your case, let me try to convince you that that's your case. So let me ask a few questions, okay? And to the best of your abilities, try to answer them as I go. All right? That way, I'm not the only one feeling guilty today. Do you buy clothes because of what other people will think? Have you ever not gone, not gone somewhere because you didn't have the right clothes or didn't have or didn't like the way you look or looked? Do you spend a lot of money, uh, I'm sorry, a lot of time in front of a mirror? Do you avoid people either because you are angry with them or because you would be embarrassed if they saw you? Do you ever get embarrassed to be seen by your parents? Have you ever been embarrassed at the thought of other people knowing that you go to church, that you believe in God, or that you believe in Jesus? Do you ever exaggerate to make yourself look better? Do you feel like a failure sometimes? Do you hate school because from the moment you walk in, you feel like a failure? Are you afraid to ask questions in class because you might look stupid? Do you wish you were, do you wish you were thinner or stronger or taller or shorter or smarter or faster or even better looking? And the question is why? Have you ever been jealous of someone thinner, stronger, taller, shorter, smarter, faster, or better looking? Have you ever wished you could shrivel, shrivel up and disappear? All right, this is family I just said, right? How many of you guys answered to any of those questions? At least one yes. Please raise your hand. How many of you guys didn't have any of those applied to you? You see, we always struggle with this. As I went through the list, man, I, I realized that I've, I have like at least six, seven, eight, nine, ten of those. It's just a matter of time or location. 
So what I, what I want to ask the text today is two simple questions. Why do we care so much? And how do we deal with that? Because this is going to be the rest of your life. Why do we care so much what people think of us? And how do we deal with this? So if you are a parent here today, this message is not just for your kids. It's for you. And if you are a kid here today, which is all of, every single one of us, because if not, we wouldn't be here. This is not just for somebody else. This is for you. Why do we care so much about what, what people think of us? So let me start. That's the first point. Let me start by acknowledging that Jesus assumes that the tendency of the human heart is to do things that seem right externally, but that internally there might be wrong motivations. Let me say that again. Jesus assumes in the text that there's a tendency in the human heart to do things right externally, but that internally we do it for the wrong motivations. And that's why in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Be careful, which the word means pay close attention, not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now the word righteousness there is really important because it means when you do something that is biblically right or morally right, it's something that you do supposed to, supposed to be as an act of worship to God or as an act of service, as an act of service to others. So Jesus has no issues whatsoever uh, that we do the right things for the right people. What Jesus is saying, what, what Jesus is calling us to pay attention to, is the motivation behind those righteous acts. If there's one phrase that you got to remember out of all of this, is that motivations matter. Motivations matter. We only have two options. We either do the things we do right before the audience of one, which it'll be God, or we do it before people so we could be seen by them. Motivation matters, people. Can you say motivation matters? God sees much more than the things you do. God sees the reasons why you do what you do. Listen, I don't even have to convince you about this because you know that this is true. This is your life. Would you be okay if your kids approach you and say something like this to you? I'm going to do this for you, but not because I love you, but because I want something from you. Would you be okay with that? Would you be okay that your spouse comes to you and says, the only reason why I married you is because there was nobody else, nobody else better around? Would you be okay with that? Would you be okay if your friend tells you, the only reason why I want to spend time with you, the only reason that I want to spend some time with you is not because I enjoy your company, it was because I sent a text to any, another 20,000 people and no one responded. Would you be okay with that? We all know that motivations matter. We all know that motivations matter. It's not just about the things you do. It's about why you do what you do. 
And Jesus is going to apply this to two very specific situations in the text. And I want you to see that these are only illustrations that could be applied to anything else. So he gives us two things. He talks about giving and he talks about prayer. He talks about giving from verses 2 to 4. And he's basically saying, if you're going to give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. You know what that means? Don't throw a party. Don't let all the people know how much you're giving. Don't make it public. No, do it in secret, he says. Do not allow your right hand to know what your left hand is doing or the other way around. Give it in secret. Motivation matters. Everything you do, you either do it before the audience of one, which it will be God, or you do it to be seen by others. He then talks about prayer from verses 5 to 8. And he says, when you pray, do not pray standing in the synagogues and in the street corners to be seen by others. Instead, he says, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. In other words, pray in secret. Jesus is not against public praying. He prayed in public. He's against praying in such a way that you're trying to impress others. And then he actually tells us what that looks like. I don't know if you've ever seen someone that prays so long and with so many words and so loud that people think, man, that person is spiritual. And Jesus says, pagans do that. Christians don't. Because motivations matter. Everything we do, we do it before the audience of one, which it will be God, or we do everything to be seen by others. A few years ago, I was, um, before I became a pastor, I was visiting another church, and I noticed this young man. He was probably 18 or 19, and, and the kid was doing a lot of dumb things. Um, and he happened to be the pastor's kid, which that's when I was reconsidering becoming a pastor or not. But I remember that there was a time in which they're praying for one another, and I noticed that this kid is, first of all, he could, he could not stand still. Like, and then he was praying a lot. It was not speaking in tongues. He was just speaking a lot. And that day, I remember, like if it was today, that I learned the difference between a testimony and a testimony. <laughs> See, a good testimony is when you do the things you do because you know that God sees you. And it's a good thing. A testimony is when you do the things you do so people see you. You know what's crazy? That for most of us, or maybe just me, Sometimes we like to do both. And this is how I know. Every time when I'm writing my sermon, there's this quick prayer. I have this, this thing that I, things that I pray for. And there's this quick prayer that I do before I preach. And it's always, Lord, do not allow me to preach this sermon before I apply this sermon to my life. And the Lord took it seriously. <laughs> so I come in the morning and I pray before the sermon. And I pray before the services, and I, and I pray for a lot of things. And I caught myself this morning, people, this morning, I caught myself praying for the church, praying for the congregations, praying for our people, praying for our children. 
And I caught myself thinking this. It would be nice that someone sees me praying. Isn't that crazy? I want to give glory to God, but at the same time, I want the glory that comes from men. At the same time, I told you I don't want to be the only miserable one here. Either we do everything before the audience of one, or we do it to be seen by others. Now, Jesus here gets even more confrontational because he uses the word hypocrite. And he uses it in two different occasions. He used it in verse 2 when he says the hypocrites give just to be honored by others. And in verse 5 says the hypocrites pray to be seen by others. And the word hypocrite simply means that when you pretend or when you act or when you put up a show. Just to be seen by others. Do you know why is it that we struggle so much about being authentic? Because we care way too much about what people think of us. It is really hard to be authentic. It is really hard to be honest when we care so much about what people think of us. Why do we do that? Why do I do that? Why do you do that? Well, Jesus is going to say that there's at least two reasons from the text. Two reasons. And it has to do with the word reward. And it has to do with the word honor. Both of these words are extremely important in the text. If you want to see the reality of your heart, pay attention to the word reward and pay attention to the word honor. The word reward appears five times in the text. Five times in eight verses. And it literally means to get paid or to earn something. So this is what Jesus is saying. That when we do the right things with the wrong motivation, just to be seen by others, is because we are desperately trying to buy something. We are desperately trying to earn something. So the question is, what is that? Edward Welch, which is a biblical counselor, he wrote a book called, What Do You Think of Me and Why Do I Care? Awesome title. And then he explains basically that the reason why we do the things we do is because we're trying to buy or purchase or earn admiration, respect, love. He says that part of the reason why we do all of this is because deep down inside we don't want to be average people. We want to be noticed. We just don't want to be rejected. So look at what he says. We want to stand out from the crowd we want to be seen, which means that we want people to notice us and be impressed with something. We want them to respect us, to like us, and to love us. Not too many people dream of being average. Take a look at your fantasies and you will probably find a quest to be noticed. You have a creepy sense that people are watching, judging, evaluating, accepting, or rejecting you. Isn't that crazy? 
Our life is thinking that people are watching. Our life is thinking that people that you're so awesome that people are noticing you. Even when probably no one is seeing you. Trying to buy a reputation. Trying to buy something. Trying to show something that is probably not true. If you want to know who you truly are, if you want to know who people truly are, you just wait for the hard times. Because during hard times, you get to see who you truly are. I am hungry for recognition, someone said. I am hungry for affirmation. I am hungry for applause. I am hungry for love. I am hungry to hear a yes spoken over me by everyone, sometimes just anyone. Do you want to know how much you care about being seen by others? Look at your emotions. When you get upset, when you get depressed, when you get angry, when you get anxious, when you get happy, the things that keep you calm, the things that keep you excited, the things that, keep you, that give you peace. Look at your emotions because your emotions have secrets. It's not just emotions. Your emotions have secrets. It tells you, they tell you what you really love. What is it that you're trying to buy? What is it that you're trying to buy? The second word Jesus uses here is the word honor, which I think is an even more confrontational word because the word honor, the root of the word honor is where we get the word doxa. And if you have been in the church a little bit, you know that the word doxa is where we get the word praise and glory. So this is what Jesus is saying. The part of the reason why we want to be seen by others, accepted by others, admired by others, noticed by others, is because deep down inside, we all want to be praised. We want glory. J.R. Vassar, which is a, a, another pastor and writer, he says this. We are glory hunger people. Listen to this quote. Glory hunger, we all have it. It begins as kids when you have a vision with the attention and applause that accompanied them. We want to stand out and feel significant. We are terrified by the prospect of, a, of obscurity. It is a desire to possess greatness and have others respond to it. Now, he goes as far as to say that we not only do this with the things we're trying to achieve, but he goes as far as to say that part of the reason why we struggle with this is because we avoid many things. Look at what he says. The pursuit of glory is less about achieving exploits and more about avoiding embarrassment. Maybe for you, seizing glory means sidestepping humiliation. You don't care about winning the race or taking the podium. You just don't want to trip and come in last. The applause of the crowd is not the prize. I would say the reward for you. The prize is avoiding their jeers. You remember Rocky Balboa? 
I don't want to look like a bum. If you haven't watched that movie, you, maybe you're not a Christian. <laughs> that was the whole idea. I don't want to look like an idiot. Deep down inside, we are desperate people. Hungry people. We all want to be honored. We all want to be praised. We are slaves to people's opinions. And you can never, never be honest to yourself. And you can never, ever find freedom unless you realize that that's you. You know how crazy that is? This is my own personal life, man. This is my struggle forever. I am so bound to people's opinion that it becomes almost like an addiction. If you have been an addict, you would understand this. Because part of the dynamic of being an addict is that it doesn't matter how much you consume. It is never enough. You need more. You want more. It is never enough. That was your life when you were a little kid. You remember? Every time you go to your mom and your dad and you would say, hey, puppy, look, look, puppy. That's because you craved their approval. And later on, it was not your parents. It was your friends, maybe. And later on, it was not your friends. It was some beautiful girl, beautiful, handsome guy. And later on, it was not them. It was your spouse. And later on, it was not that. It was your boss. You were just craving for someone to admire you, to honor you, to praise you. You become an addict to people's opinion. And part of the struggle is that then you have to try to reinvent yourself. You know why? Because people's opinions matter too much. Listen, this is not even the script, so it's got to be from the Holy Spirit. Have you seen how quick fashion changes? And if you're bound to that, you have to reinvent yourself every year. Don't you think that this is important? And the crazy thing is that sometimes because of the people, people's opinions matter so much, we are willing to drop anything and sacrifice anything and sacrifice anybody to fulfill people's opinions. And if that's the case, if you care way too much about people who think that affects your definition of beauty, right? Because you are conditioned to what people say beauty is. It affects your definition of success. It affects the way you work and how much you work. It affects the way the things you consider to be important and not important. It affects your priorities. It affects the way you use your talents and your abilities. It affects every single little area of your life. That's what the Bible calls the fear of men. We are controlled by the things we fear. Either you, 
Either you, you do things before the audience of one, God, or you would always be a slave to people's opinions. Someone might say, well, Hannibal, that sounds amazing, and I feel terrible, but that is so hard to do. Yes! It is hard. Part of the reason that it's hard is because we're supposed to care what people think of us. Did you know that? The secular thinking is, I don't have to worry about what people say. The Christian thinking is, we ought to worry about what people think about us, but we have to put it in the right place. Like, for example, if you're a child, children, a young, a young person here, you better care about what your parents say. I wish my daughters would be here. You have to care. If you're married, you better care about what your spouse has to say. Don't put that one on me. If you have friends and they love the Lord and they love you, you're supposed to care about what they say. If you're a believer, a practicing Christian, you're supposed to care about what spiritual leaders say. You're supposed to care about what the church says. The Bible is not calling us not to care about people's opinions. Our problem is not that. Our problem is that we care way too much. Or our problem is that we're looking in people what only God can give us. Did you get that? You could tweet that. Our problem is not so much that we care what people think of us. The problem is that we want from people what only God can give us. There's nothing wrong with being uh, admired. There's nothing wrong with being respected. There's nothing wrong with being liked and loved. There's nothing wrong with not, you not wanting to be rejected. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Listen, there's not even anything wrong with you wanting to be honored and praised. The problem is not that. The problem is that we'd rather be honored and praised by people than being honored and praised by God. This is the difference, people. You cannot get rid of people's opinions just by saying, I don't care what you say. It doesn't work that way. You need to find something that is better and bigger, whose opinion matter more than their opinions. This is the problem. Let me quote uh, Jay Arvasar again. We are broken people looking to other broken people to fix our broken lives. We are glory-deficient people looking to other glory-deficient people to supply us with glory. Looking to other people to provide for us what, what they lack themselves is a fool's errand. It is futile to look to other glory-hungry people to fully satisfy our glory hunger. And doing so leaves our souls empty. That's why it is never enough. I have three minutes. How do we deal with this? Really simple and really hard. If you notice, Jesus uses the word, this is point number two. If you notice, Jesus once again used the word father five times in the text. Five times in the text. 
And in verses 4 and in verses 6, he says, Your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And once again, Jesus wants us to remember that the only way we find freedom from people's opinions is when we care much more about the opinion of our father. And he's bringing back something that we talked about last week. He's bringing back the concept of adoption. And I want to spend a few seconds talking about that because it's important that you get it. In the, Greco- in the Greco-Roman world, adoption was a big thing. And when you were adopted, three things changed for you automatically. It meant first that whatever the father owned, now everything that he owned belongs to you. That was the first benefit of adoption. The second benefit of adoption is that all your relationships change automatically. You know why? Because when people, when people will see the adopted kid, they will be forced to see this kid through the lenses of the father. In other words, whenever they looked at the father, they looked at the kid. Whenever they looked at the kid, they looked at the father. And number three, everything the kid owned or everything the person owed, the debt he or she had, will be automatically canceled. Adoption means that you have things that you never had before. Adoption means that people no longer could see you the way you are, but the way they would see the father. And adoption meant that if you owed anything, everything was canceled. Everything was paid for. Did you know that that's exactly what Jesus Christ won for us at the cross? That's exactly what Jesus Christ purchased for you at the cross. That you don't have to look for anything. Everything that belongs to the Father belongs to you. That when people see you, they have to see you through the lenses of God. And even more important, that when God sees you, he sees you through Jesus. Listen, if you struggle with the Father, with the love of God, if if you struggle seeing him as a father, you have to remember this. God sees you the same way he sees Jesus. If you are in him, God loves you the same way he loves Jesus. If he will never drop his son, he will never drop you. If he will never leave his son behind, he will never leave you behind. If you have been adopted in Jesus Christ by the Father... You don't own anything. You have been fully forgiven, fully accepted, fully sanctified, fully justified. You know what this means? That you get a new status. Here, usually when we think about Christianity, we think about us being forgiven and accepted. And I will say amen. Usually when we think of Christianity, we think about being free from guilt and shame. And I will say amen to that. But Christianity offers something much better, much bigger than that. It offers you a new status. You are no longer just you. You are you, the son of the almighty God. You don't have to be admired by people. He admires you. You don't have to be honored by people. He honored you. You don't have to be praised by people. The father delights in you. You have nothing to gain. You have nothing to lose. You have nothing to prove. 
You have nothing to gain. You have nothing to lose. You have nothing to prove. You are in Jesus. And he, the God, is your father. Do you have that? Have you experienced that? You need it. If never, you will never find out freedom. You will never find freedom from people's opinions. You will never learn how to filter those opinions. I do care what you think of me, believe it or not. You know how much I got to think about my accent before I come to preach here? But at the end of the day, what gives me freedom to preach is not you. It's him. And it's the same thing for you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you allowed me to speak for 35 minutes about this thing that we struggle with, every single one of us. Lord, we are so bound to people's opinions. And we want to ask for forgiveness. We want to ask, Lord, that you give us this fresh understanding of who we are to you in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you allow us to see who we are to you in Jesus Christ. That everything we are is because it was yours before and you gave it to us. That whatever we are today, we are in Jesus. Therefore, we have much more than we desire. And that we have been forgiven, accepted, received, loved. But more than that, you have given us a new status. We belong to you. Thank you for our freedom. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say...